Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Nick Kiprios flying solo today in the studios of Sportsnet as my good friend and star of the Real Kipper and Bourne show, Justin Bourne, is via satellite, or should I just say on location. (laughs) Really just dad of the year this week, Kipper. I'm really putting in my candidacy here. Going to my son's winter concert. I can't make it if I'm in studio. Doing it from home. Winter concert. (laughs) Yeah, he's six. I think he's got a solo. Like, what is going on? Like, okay, just uh, what time's the concert start? Five o'clock. Five o'clock. All right. We're done at 4.55, and I live right by the school. I'll be there to see him hit his solo. Well, good for you. Thanks. Because that's what we do here on The Real Kipper and Born Show. We put family first. How long into <laughs> this, pets? How long in this winter concert is Borny gonna instantly regret his decision? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say I got called into the office halfway through. Let me uh, let me just say that I've got three kids in in college mm-hmm. right now. Okay, wow. and you know, for all you parents out there or dads out there right now who are still you know gonna about to have kids. Let me just say for those those moments uh, and kindergarten, like who had, who would have ever thought one day like kindergarten graduation would be a big thing? <laughs> I know. You know, it's like that's that's where we are right now. So just all of you, I just want you to know that, you know, you're going to blink an eye. And in about 15 years, let me just tell you that there won't be a damn thing you'll remember about a winter concert. Or a graduation. <laughs> but you'll be stuck with 200 grand in college so, tuition so bills. If by chance you can't get there because of work, don't worry about it. That's my message to you. Really inspirational, Kip. Means a lot to me. Always good to have the support. No, 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 no. Uh, You're going to take pictures with your phone until the thing starts smoking. Yeah. Right? Well, that's. That, I'll leave that up to my wife. Uh, my question, Fabro tells me, like, you can't just get up and leave after your kid sings. Like, there's a whole other grade's got to go. Like, you know, like, once your kid's done, you don't just get to go home and take them off the stage. So that's the part I'm dreading. Hey, cheer for every kid on there like it's uh, your own. Uh, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Get up off the floor, stop playing with the dog, and go to school. There you go. That's all. That's what I thought about uh, uh, kindergarten graduations and uh, winter concerts back then. Uh, all right, we got a terrific show for you. Uh, in about 40 minutes, we're, we're, we've tracked down Barry Trotz, Stanley Cup-winning coach with the Washington Capitals, third all-time winning Coach with 914 and presently out of work. Wow. Do we Someone think might want him? Do we think that uh, in what has transpired in Vancouver that uh, you think they made a call to Barry Trotz before settling on Rick Tockett? Can we ask him that? I don't know. Ooh. What do you mean? I don't, I don't know, know. It, it, Sammy. Well, can you even say settling for Rick Talking? He's been a highly coveted candidate. Out well, there. when I say settling, I, it's another way of saying decided on. Okay, how's that? That's a little better, <laughs> a little yeah. softer, I would say. For sure. And we uh, also had uh, Rick Talking's Vancouver Canucks take uh, their first loss under his 
Helm. We'll talk about that a little later on in the show. Borny, I know you haven't heard these clips. We won't play them now. We'll play them at the back half of the show. But the tone difference between (laughs) him talking after his first win and then last night is pure comedy. So looking uh, forward to get to that. We'll get to that. Jamal Mayers. Former NHLer, he's going to be by as well in studio. Uh, no winter concert for him. He's actually physically going to be here, so we're going to have some fun with him. You worked with him last night, mm-hmm. did you not, uh, JB, as you covered uh, the New York Rangers and the Toronto Maple Leafs? So let's start there. The Leafs rally in the third period down to the New York Rangers with an overtime goal from Mitch Marner, and everybody went home happy. Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, the Leafs stuck with it against a really good team. Um, you know, didn't have everything go their way. They got some good goaltending. Uh, I thought that, uh, you know, Matthews had some looks, even though he didn't score. Uh, pr- pretty good showing, I thought. You, your overview of the game, Kipper, was it positive? Um, listen, uh, anytime you could show the ability to persevere and keep it close and find a way to win a hockey game, all for it. Uh but there were there were signs for the majority of that game that said to me that uh, uh, this is a game that they could have easily lost. This is a game that I didn't see a ton of energy. Uh, this is a game that uh, uh, the best players, for the most part, didn't bring it. Right. Uh, Samsonov continues to progress to the point where he is now running with something here, which, again, is a, is a positive note. We do know that uh, they are right back at it tomorrow night against Ottawa. They're right back at it Sunday against Washington, and then they'll close out in Boston or against Boston on Wednesday, and then they go into this prolonged break. Mm -hmm. And I just think right now as I watch them, this is a team that could use some rest based on what I saw last night. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's a really good point. But I also just want to take a moment to note for Toronto Maple Leafs fans, for my buddy Sam McKee and everyone all, you cannot take a team for granted that doesn't have pop, doesn't play great, and handles the New York Islanders and New York Rangers, gets four points out of those games. Like, this is a good hockey team. I understand they haven't looked their best for a little bit here, but it's it's a cool era to be a Leafs fan, I think, when you can just you have the best players on the rink most nights and they can make plays like Marner did in OT oh, and you get your points. 100%. And I think, uh, again, when you're in a situation where uh, you're only down a goal, you'll, you'll never, I, I don't care how tired they are, I don't care how times uh, the ice is tilted, when you've got the likes of a Marner, Nylander, Matthews and and Tavares because he's got that ability to create offense and we saw uh, the the game winning goal on his stick only to hit a crossbar. Yeah, there there's always that element that they're not out of the game from shift to shift. Yep, and that That's was it, it last right? night. And I mean, Timothy Lilligren makes an unbelievable play. How about Chris Kreider has that one on the back door that he misses and uh, maybe one of the worst misses in the NHL I've ever seen, followed by getting Timothy Lilligren walks and then gets body position on him. Not the finest night for all 20. No, it was not. Um, Maybe for a few of their stars as well. But uh, I mean, are we safe to say here that Kreider has the gimme putt and, pu- Pick and, it up. Pu- and puts it over the goal line. This game's over 3-1 for Shesterkin. 
Really good point. Yeah, I mean, that That's... one does, that would change the tone of the game. The Leafs open up and play a different style from there. Totally changes things. So, yeah, there's some luck involved in, in you know, going on streaks like the Leafs are on. So they, they got a, a freebie there. All right, let's go to uh, Sheldon Keefe on his overview of what he saw last night. Uh, Sheldon Keefe for our first Kippers Clipper of the day. Well, I, mean, I don't know if I would say turn it around. It was just we were able to break through. You know, they, they played us hard tonight. It's like you say, it's a good team. Deep team, you know, they're not, not giving us a lot. I thought, you know, we had a, a, enough to have more than one goal um, through 50 minutes or whatever it was. But, uh, you know, good goaltender, good, good team playing hard defensively, and, and we didn't make good on some of our best looks. Uh, but we kept the game close enough to give ourselves a chance to, to stay with it. And we talked about that it was probably going to be one that we'd have to end up shooting our way in and get a bounce to to go our way and that's how it worked out the one thing that uh i was watching last night again and it was played off of uh the islander game it was the the room in the neutral zone that we saw against the islanders and i had mentioned that it, it seemed like almost all the goals were coming from 200 feet out and the stretch passes were working and uh the huge gap that the Islanders left the Leafs in the neutral zone. The Leafs just ate it up. And then you watch Holmberg score that goal, what, two and a half, three minutes into the game. Whew. And it was, again, it was a 200-foot play that uh, stems off of uh, breaking the puck out of your own zone, coming through the neutral zone with speed, and then finishing off a play. And it just seemed to me that I thought the Leafs would – based on that goal, feel like it would be a carryover from the Islander game. But after that goal, things started tightening up and and I didn't see a whole lot coming through the neutral zone after that. And again, maybe that just stems from a team that's just being a little tired or or just not having a, a ton of energy. But that, that part of the game shut down for the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, until when they actually tied the game and took the game over. Yeah, you know, Sheldon seems to be searching for something a little bit with the lines, right? Like he's mixing and matching. And, you know, when it wasn't working in the third period, you saw him throw out Matthews, Nylander, and Marner together just yeah. trying to find, to find something. Because you're right, they they didn't seem to have that same success. And by the end of the game, you know, whether it – I don't know what changed, but they did seem to wear the Rangers down. The Rangers may be a little too comfortable to just go into a shell and say, okay, we're going to defend our way out of this one. Can I be completely honest? Maybe this is a little bit of a dark place to take this conversation with, with the way they played last night. Yeah. But after the Rangers made it 2-1 in the second period, right, with the Heedle goal on yep. a, just a awful shift for the for the new top line there with the Leafs. And, but, yeah, but, go ahead. Finish your no, thought. I was just going to say that late in that game before they tied it, which was late when they tied it. I think there was just over three minutes left. It really, really reminded me of the game sevens they've had over the years where they can't get to the middle of the ice where they're going up against, you know, Tampa last year or the Habs the year before where they really couldn't get anything going or, you know, against Columbus where they barely score in the, in the game five deciding game. It just felt that the stars, once they sort of start hitting this wall, it's not this disengagement. I don't know how to explain it, but it just feels like they're not going to get one. And I had these feels creeping into my mind last night that it felt like a big playoff yeah. game that they were going to lose tight. D. Yeah, that's I know, I know that's where it is, but like 
you want them to break through in those situations. Like, you want your best guys to beat their best guys. But, but they have to do it with skill quickness and speed they they don't have that physical element I, to go up against a truba a charat uh a keandre miller like those are big bodies there are so many good teams in the east boys like you yeah. get you happen by some grace of god you happen to get through tampa and boston and you might have that team waiting for you in the semifinals like yeah, it's uh, and it's the eastern conference is so stacked the, just to talk about that one shift that you're talking about on the on the heat of goal. Kako turns it over three times. The, the Leafs had three or four opportunities to get the puck out. And they're yeah. trying to make these tight right? little passes three along or four, the boards. And it is Matthews, Marner, and, and Bunting. And, bunting mm-hmm. and this is supposed to be your number one line here. And to, to my point earlier, I don't know if they're tired. I don't know if they just didn't have that focus, but... Those are your best players that can't get a puck out on multiple opportunities. I have yeah. to be honest. I hated Go Matthews. North. I hated Matthews and Marner reunited. I as a as a, Has, hasn't been great. I think as a thing you go to in a game in terms of like that's the button you push where you're like okay, this is going to light them up and get them going. I like it as that sort of option when it's within the game. But starting the game with it, I don't know. There's is it. Is it too far to say it's comfort with those two guys where it feels like they, I don't know. I just, I like it the other way, way better. To your point about not looking like they're going to break through, the Rangers are fifth in the NHL in defending the front of their net. Like they don't give up many slot shots, many inside looks. And so that is a thing that has plagued the Leafs is an inability to get through that. You know, they find a way last night, get a, a great goal from Lilligren, but that is going to be one of their challenges. And that's a challenge of everyone in the playoffs. How the hell do you get to the middle against good teams? It's, it's a battle. But the, and the Leafs have failed three straight years to do it in the biggest games. Let me, let me just ask you guys, and I don't want to derail and the I hate conversation. To be, I hate to be Mr. Negative, but I had to be honest with you guys about the feels that were creeping into my mind watching that game Yeah, last that's night. fair. I don't want to derail the conversation, but Mike McKenna of Daily Faceoff today wrote an article about the Leafs not bouncing, not not punching back last night after Lily gets buried and Geo gets buried. Uh, Jamal Mayers talked about it on camera and off camera about sitting at home and being on another team and watching that just being like oh you can yeah, eat these guys are we going back are we going back to that conversation again yeah that well that's the thing i don't want to do 10 minutes on it but like did you feel in those instances they they were even a big deal that they needed any sort of conversation follow-up hey don't do that i don't know i mean you just go back a couple of weeks ago or you know 10 days ago and just say hey boys remember that uh that showing we had and uh you know the game against florida and you know, Aston Reese, you remember that? And you remember a few things like that? We were finding it there. Right? And it's it's not a sometimes thing. Yeah. Like I tell my kids, being nice isn't a sometimes thing. It's an all-the-time thing. Same thing with that, that attitude of being on yeah. the ice and having a protective coat around each other. It's, it's every night. It should be. And it... it may not look sometimes as, as great as other nights, and sometimes you might end up at the bottom of a pile, but it's okay. But, yeah, I, there's something to be said there. I, I think it, if, you're, if you're Sheldon or Brendan or, you know, something should be said to sometimes uh, some of your players on picking your spots. You know, like poor Geo gets trucked and Willie's like, oh, look, it's lights in the rafters. I, I want to be, <laughs> like, I want to be mad about this and I yeah. want to get, 
like bent out of shape because this is something that's right in my wheelhouse. I love when guys respond to, you know, teammates getting hit and all that. But it's just you you're going to drive yourself up the yeah. wall expecting right. it. They just there's certain games where they do it against teams they don't like and there's just they get little fleeting moments of it where they play these games and I don't no rhyme or reason. Sometimes they're into it, sometimes they're not. I just kind of separate myself from it so it doesn't drive me completely insane every night. It's the only way to do it. Like, honestly, I, I try, I, like, I just, you know, yeah. Bunk was texting me about it during the game last night. I'm like, ah, yeah, no comment. No comment. Like, I'm just blindfolds, basically. Well, yeah, again, it's like, where do you go with that conversation that you haven't already gone? And I don't think anybody's interested in it anymore because they are yeah. not that team, apparently. My car, is, my car is not a truck. You know, yes, as much as I exactly. would like it to drive yes. over giant things, it does not do that. So uh, unless they decide to jack it up and add big mutter tires to the, the Leafs <laughs> roster, it is a car. Yes. <laughs> All right. As we mentioned earlier in the show, Lilligren's uh, tying goal uh, saved not only a point, but uh, gave them the ability to earn an extra one in overtime. Let's go to Sheldon Keefe on uh, the Lily Pads tying goal. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about it, having that guy come down that backside and, and Specifically tonight, you know, when it was it was hard to get clean looks to the net. So we we like I said, we talked about the fact that we were going to have to shoot our way in and have good traffic and create some some randomness in around the net there. And, and we needed people to be in spots to be able to win those pucks back, both forwards and D. And yeah, it's uh, you know you want your D down there quite a bit when you when you have one guy rolling up higher and, and we had that and great read by him. He beats his, beats his man to get to the inside and, and you know, their goaltender can't see the puck, which him playing the way that he was, that's, that's a, an important factor and he makes good on the shot. That, that was huge, that play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we talked uh, the other day uh, with uh, uh, Valley from MSG about uh, offense coming from the back end and I mean, the Leafs are well on their way of of getting that uh, magic 150-point season from their blue line. Yeah. And I listen, you can throw the puck to the front of the net and good things happen, and that's what happened last night. Like, they needed a goal. Sandine filters one. Uh, Tavares puts a really nice tip on it down off of Shesterkin's pad, and it lands on Lilligren's stick, and it goes in the net. I You know, it was a great play all around, but yeah. Sometimes you need the decor to fire them on net. It feels like they don't do it that often. No. Should we discuss Lilligren? I know Keith had a comment. You had a clip from his him on Lilligren's development, and I know some. There's been some noise. Like, is this the guy who should get some PP one looks? Given the power play hasn't really found it. All right. Let's go to uh, Sheldon Keith on Lilligren's development. You know, I can't remember exactly the time. It was certainly before I, I came into this position where things really, really clicked for him at the AHL level. And he was becoming a, a, quite a dominant player. I don't know what his age would have been at that time, but uh, it started to come. And then you could really see it blossoming uh, in terms of the player that he was when he was drafted. But also he was starting to really become a great defender, which I don't think anyone would have said that about him going into the draft. And that's why he's really been able to have a solid foundation here to build upon offensively. I mean, he's playing on the power play tonight and getting those extra looks, and he can do different things for us on offense too. But you don't get in those positions oftentimes if you can't defend and and help us in other ways like he can. You know, I don't know that 
Kasperi Kapanen ever turned into what people hoped he would be, but he he interested me when I was with the Marlies because he only made the NHL because he became a penalty killer. Like Babs didn't want him on the team necessarily to just they, – they had a great top six on offensive guys, but he became a PK guy and they could use him. Interesting to hear Keith talk about Lilligren becoming a defender first. He couldn't even use him until he could figure out the defending side of it, and now the offensive side can grow. Yeah, listen, uh, he has come a long way. There's, there's no question about that. And uh, how much more upside is there? Uh, can he, can he create a lot more? Can he turn himself into a 200 foot guy? Uh, do you see him invo- uh, evolving as a, as a number two? I don't think that is out of this, out of the question. Like I. You guys listened well, were with me on the show last year. I mean, I was a, I was a doubter, and yeah. I, I came around. He just played so well, I changed my tone. And now it's like, he as long as he, he just continues to improve. So it's tough to put a limit on him and say, yeah, this is all he's going to be. He just keeps getting better. You're, I mean, your top guy who makes the most money on your team, who's, you know, quote-unquote, supposed to be your best defenseman, has had his two best games since he's come back from injury when he's played with this guy on the top pair, right? Like, I don't think... I think it's not that much of a coincidence. I I have been blown away by him, and I do, like how far he's gone up the ranks of importance for the Toronto Maple Leafs in this last two month stretch has been pretty remarkable. Like, where would you rank wow. him? Where, where, where would you rank him in terms wow, of wow, wow, importance wow. to the team? Yeah, bro. Right now, he's uh, as important as anybody. Like, I you know I think he's you know Brody is your clear number one guy. I think in terms of importance, and then I wow. think you could put him into that next the next level wouldn't you brody over riley is your clear number one important yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely kind of are you comfortable saying that to start game one against tampa bay i mean if morgan Morgan riley's playing success if the way he's been playing the last however many games is the way he's gonna be playing going into game one yes yeah that's not you got to get riley back up uh being uh the leader on this blue line and I agree. And I massive priority. I appreciate Sammy that Lilligren's coming a long way, but uh, like I don't want to throw that on Lilligren. I mean, he's progressed nicely, but it's too much on his shoulders right now to feel like he's as important as anybody out there. And I, the, yeah. the lack of experience. Still, we saw him take a penalty last night. Oh, did it come because he was felt a little rushed on that play at times? We've seen that. Now, the big difference between Lilligren's play now and, and probably months, if not last year, was his ability just to calm down now, right? Just yes. knowing that you're going to play 15, 20 minutes a night and not feel like you have to do everything on every shift and that you can have a quiet shift but a very uh, effective, efficient shift. He's starting to learn that now. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure... You know, you want to go into the first round against Tampa Bay saying, hey, you're, we need you. You're your best defenseman. No, I I just feel like the, you know, the playoff show that veteran guys and experience and, you know, grown men uh, tend to have a lot of success in these situations. The, the Leafs watching Alex Galchenyuk turn a puck over or, you know, watching some Travis Dermott flip one over. Uh, is it against Montreal? Like, just some of the some of the errors they've had from younger guys haunt me. I just can't give Lilligren too much and say, we're counting on you to be, you know, 20-minute guy. 
Well, I mean, he is a 20-minute guy. They're, they put him on the ice last night when they're trying to salt away a point for the game. There's a minute and a half left. Who did Keefe go to? He went to Lilligren and Giordano, not to Morgan Riley, you know, not to, to Justin Hall. It's pretty clear how far up the trust That's rankings trouble, he's gone. I th- That's trouble. I, see, this is where... It, it may if, be trouble. If, it uh, may be trouble, but it's a sign. If, is it uh, not? If yes. I'm Kyle Dubas right now and I got this kid uh, in, in a great sweet spot right now, I'm not thinking about adding more to his plate. If anything... I'm starting to think that what if I was able to add one more body to that blue line yep. and just reslot everybody a notch down would actually help and support Lilligren. That's not, my article not, for Sportsnet tomorrow. Not add more on his plate. You know, if you did bump everyone you know, down a, one spot, how much more comfortable would you be if things are going perfectly? The Leafs fall behind at the top of their decor. Their number one guy and TJ Brody. So Riley and Brody are not Hedman and Sergachev or McAvoy and Lindholm or Fox and Truba or Pesci and Slavin. Like, they don't have the same one-two as everyone else, so they have to be better farther down their lineup. And if they're struggling there in the playoffs, they're not going to have success. So they need success with their second and third pair. I don't feel comfortable being like if if Lilligren struggles or Sandine struggles or Hall struggles, you got no one to go to. You need someone else to slot them all down one and have another guy to bring in just to make you feel comfortable that you're you're set at the bottom. I think it's fair. Oh, for sure. How about about now? I'm going to make Kipper really mad with this one, but uh, you said you wanted to add, even take away, not add to his responsibility. I think I'm going to try at the top of the power play unit, number one. I think that's interesting. Uh, I'd, I'd welcome different looks right now for sure. I Listen, you're willing to go to five forwards. You're willing to go to the absolute nuclear, you know, option. It's not looking good, fellas, in terms of what it's heading towards here in the first round. You've written about it multiple times, Kipper, about how the first round of the playoffs, what's cost them so dearly. Yeah. And it's been special teams. And the power play is so important for this team. And... It's trending in the wrong direction again. It doesn't look good. It should look better. I don't understand, and I think you got to kind of try to make a bit of a yeah. change here, no? 22% in January, which is 11th in the NHL, which doesn't sound terrible, but expectations for the Leafs when you have that many elite players are higher than... There's $47 you know, million dollars on the ice. Right. 11th is not good enough. No. So would you try Lilligren there, Kip? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think you have to throw him out there in necessarily the first unit, um, but well, he's playing on the second unit right now with Sandine. Well, get him better second minutes. You know, okay. put an emphasis on the first fifty seconds, and then somebody's got to come off the ice. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him get some significant minutes on a, on a power play just to just to keep him warm. At least he shoots it. Hey, Morgan shot it a couple times last night. He can't get it to the net, but he he, he hit it. Yeah. And what were the Leafs last night? Were they 0 for... 2, I think. 3? I think they're 0 for 2 or 3. They were 0 for. They were 0 for. I think it was 3. At some point, they're going to go, we just need... We we need to change uh, personnel. It's like... What if they went you two units? You can't just keep shuffling like the, the, the chairs on the Titanic here. 
So, Borny, you say that, and that's a thought that I had. What would you want the two units to look like? I feel like Bunting is a very good sort of net front puck recovery type guy. Um, they wanted him on that, you know, when they go five forwards, he's the guy they add. And then you have three flank guys in Willie, Matthews, and Marner. You know, do you want Willie to run a number, a second unit? You, whoever you give it to, you're basically saying you're the quarterback from the flank. Those guys are all flank guys. So I'd like, I would leave Tavares and Bunting and Riley, or if that's your number one power play guy, and then figure out which flank guys you want to keep. Okay, let's. I want to move this a little bit towards uh, Samsonov because he continues to be a story. Uh, can't lose at home. We know that. Yeah. Just in terms of uh, what you saw last night. And again, uh, turning point in the game last night for me, Kreider finds a way to miss that opportunity. And and Samsonov gives his team uh, a window to not only stay in the game, but win the game. Your thoughts, uh, let's go to you, JB, on uh, what, what you saw out of Samsonov last night. Yeah, I think he made the saves he had to make. You know, he made a, that really nice one early on Ke'Andre Miller. I thought that was his uh, highlight real save of the night. And otherwise, you know, he come away 27 saves, on, or sorry, give up two goals and 29 shots. Like, not, uh, otherwise, I didn't think he was spectacular, but he didn't need to be. Sammy, on the uh, the Heedle face-off, was that one of those goals where you go, that's a that's a that's a cap tip. For okay, me. let's. Uh, what'd you think of it? I, I thought it was a brilliant play by Heedle. Caught everybody off guard. That was a, didn't Mario do that a couple times? That was the yeah, Mario yeah, move. Greg, I remember specifically watching Wayne Gretzky do that uh, in a game in St. Louis, which went top corner. Really? Maybe on, how? Maybe on Greg Millen. Maybe not. I don't know. How about <laughs> Can though, how former to convert tonight? Camp was aligned so far into the corner because he's winning it back to his goalies. You know, uh, Jamal actually mentioned this on his uh, or on our show last night that when you're the centerman, you got to tell the goalie, "I'm coming your way." Like I'm pulling it back to the middle, and then you know the other thing is just recognize the guy's flipping his hand over because you saw Heedle turn it back over. He was going to draw it back and decided not to. So that's on that's on Camp to me. Did you just? Like, you play 1,300 NHL games. How many goals do you see like that go in? Well, that's probably why Camp's not worried. Right? Like, what are the odds? Well, like, he was smiling the whole way. He was smiling on the way. Ice, he took the next face off. He was smiling there, too. He couldn't even believe that did it the, went in. Did the clock actually move? I don't think it did. <laughs> I don't think it did. Yeah, pretty unbelievable. Hey, hey can I ask you guys a, a question? Oh, yeah. What if Samsonov is just an elite goalie? Is that, is that a? Is that, are we allowed to dream on that? Oh boy, you're. Uh, yeah, listen. Uh, in the NHL and save percentage. There's a, there's enough of a stretch where like a top ten goalie in the league. Uh, he's separating himself from Matt Murray now. I believe that they're going to go back to Matt Murray on Friday night. Oh yeah. And regardless, Samsonov comes back against Washington, and even if he lays an egg against. Washington on Sunday. I think you got to come back to him against Boston on Wednesday. Yes, Skipper. You have to treat him like the starting goalie he is, right, Boy? Yeah, I guess. You know, I don't want them to rush to conclusions too much because Matt Murray feels like he's losing a battle he hasn't had the chance to fight in. We have a cup, like a game and a half that wasn't great, and now he's just cooked. Tomorrow night's not going to be easy for Matt Murray. Ottawa is a top 10 scoring team, the top 
you know, chance generating team, it is not going to be easy. Number five power play in the league for the for the Sens. So. Yeah. He's so, set up for failure there's, here, isn't he? There's a lot of pressure on Matt Murray to uh, to keep himself in this thing. You you think there's pressure on him? Well, I just kind of think uh, like, you know, it's maybe he's just think about the backup this. right now. Another, another bad outing, another four-plus goals against Ottawa on Friday. He doesn't get the start on Sunday. He doesn't get the start against Boston midweek, and then they disappear for how many days? I think eight or nine. Uh, eight seven. or nine. Yeah. You want to go? Many, yeah. You want to go two weeks now with the thought that you know you've got some serious technical issues right now? Yeah. He won't be in Aruba wearing sunglasses. He'll be at Mastercard Center wearing sunglasses. <laughs> so <laughs> true. Or, or Ford Performance yeah, Center, no, whatever the no, hell it's this called. Is the year two thousand. How's your spring break, man? He's going on vacation and he's wearing glasses <laughs> on the beach. Just blinders so he can find the pina colada delivery person. Exactly. Huh, there they are. All right. Uh, do we have uh, keep on Samsonov and we do what he's been doing for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Let's go to Sheldon. You know, we, we believe in him, and we have high expectations. Like, nobody expects anybody to have a record like that. You know, it's, it's quite remarkable. And obviously, it speaks a lot to his play, speaks a lot to our team's play, just the same. But, you know, this is uh, another tough game for him, right? Just margin for error is pretty thin, and you've got an elite goaltender and a countryman of his down on the other end, not unlike he did against the Islanders the other night. And I thought in, in both... In both cases, he stood his ground and gave us opportunity to win the game. So, yeah, I mean, is he exceeding expectations? We have high expectations. We really believe in him and his ability, but we needed to get his buy-in and we needed him to put in the work that we were, that's necessary for him to really find a stable foundation and consistency in his game, and he's, he's done that. So that's why you're, you've given him the runway here to just really stay with it. That's an underrated comment he made about the Russian goalies. Like, he just went at Sorokin and Shesterkin and won twice. Yeah, can Canada borrow one of these goalies? <laughs> you don't want to have Logan Thompson as the best in the country? Hey, How many do you need? You, uh, th- there was a good portion of last night's game where you're like, Shesterkin's going to do it to them again. Yeah. Yeah. He is really, really good. I know that's not exactly a hot take, but... That's a guy, you know, I mentioned them playing in a p- playoff series. If they somehow got that far to play a team from a different division in a playoff series, that's not a fun team to play against with him and Net. Like, you think about their decor, you think about the offensive guys they have, and then you get through But they had Tampa down 3-1 last year, didn't they? No, 3-2. 3-2? Yeah, they won game five on home ice to go down to Tampa to lose in overtime. But who, who's counting? Yeah, you got it dialed. Yeah. Well, with... Samsonov, even in Washington, I mean, he was a highly touted uh, prospect, a first-rounder. I I don't think anybody ever thought, and and including the Washington Capitals, that this guy did not have the talent to be a very good goalie. Uh, That's what's encouraging is that the pedigree's there. Right? So what what are we down to now? Attitude? Work ethic, commitment, maturity. I mean, maybe that stuff's kind of getting straightened out a little bit for him up here. Change of scenery. 
I mean, the thing that the thing that would terrify you, right? Because I mean, there's an inevitable conversation here that he is a restrictive free agent at the end of the season, which is an inevitable conversation, which you hate to have. But how much of this is him, you know, proving himself versus once he does get a contract, the difference in mentality, right? Like the it's full, a, the, the full Bobrovsky, the full Bobrovsky. Like it's a very <laughs> different thing when you're on a one year deal versus a little bit of a little bit of comfort, a little bit of job security. Like, it's all – I mean, there's so much mentality that goes into being a goalie in general. Leaf fans will deal with worrying about what to pay him. They'll have no problem with that. That will have meant success. That will have meant they're getting out of the first round. Yeah, and I think – I mean, I'm sure the conversations have already started behind closed doors in terms of paying him something, no? I I would hope because – if you if you feel like he's not going to fall off anytime soon, then the best time now is to sign him before the poker game gets a little bit more expensive because prices usually antes usually go up as the season progresses. Yeah, and you pay him, and then he blows it in the first round, and you're like, "What have we done?" Oopsies. If they get out of the first round, is it like sponsored by Little Buddha that day? Are you guys just going to crush cans in the studio? I'll find something to do. Well, pop popping champagne for a first round win. <laughs> yeah, cigars and champagne for getting yeah, past I'll smoke the lightning. Cigars. We'll yeah. hotbox that studio. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they'd love that. Uh, you know, should we go to keep on the OT winner? Yeah, sure. let, let's let's Sorry. have a listen. Mitch Marner. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what they were, what what was going uh, through their mindset. They might have been. We had just made a, a change with Austin and, and, and David Camp coming uh, coming off. Austin's coming on. Well, if that created a little bit of confusion, but he was able to to attack the forward, and and a lot of times that can something can break free there. Forwards, uh, you know, more frequently make those mistakes, and you know, great goal or take it right across the crease and make make good on it. That was so. It was. A good process, you know, by the guys to set that all up, and then Mitch did the rest. So that was uh, that was Mitch against Sabanajad and Panarin, was it not? And Panarin uh, and Miller, and Miller was the was the D man back. Yeah, like but, like if if that was a role reversal, and the two best players on the Leafs were Marner and Matthews on a goal against like that. Cooked. Oh yeah. boy, like. Like grill marks on their ass the next day. Well, that just goes to show, you know, about the market because it's so true. Like other play, great players make mistakes too, and we're just like, ah, well, it's not really their forte. Uh, yeah, no, the pretty ugly. But I will say, you know, what bothers me is hearing Keith say uh, the process was good and setting that up. It's like, why is there a process? It's three on three. What do you? Th- I don't know, you guys, are they overthinking it? I know they won. David Camp out there to start. Did she I love just it. put your bet? No, I love it. All right. I love it. Now they're out. They, they, this, David Camp is, you know, he's like a, uh, he's like hypnotherapy that cures the yips. He's cured the yips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like. That's 100% a great analogy, but that's not logical. I don't care if it's logical. It's three on three. It's stupid. It's a regular season. You just got to get as many points as you possibly can. And having Camp out there seems to steady them. He wins the draw. Haven't they gotten possession every time when he's Listen, taken? Like, that's the most important thing is the possession off the start. Know, it's just, chipping just, with a five iron, Sammy. Uh, oh, it's Marion Alton seven iron from the fringe. <laughs> just, to, just to play off face-offs. I mean, the one thing that, I don't know, seems awfully noticeable, and I don't know what the numbers are, but even a power play that starts in the offensive zone when they lose a face-off and it goes down the ice and kills the first 25, 30 seconds drives me nuts. 
It does drive you nuts. You hate it. Oh, it's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a major portion of of what maybe what sometimes the power play lacks. And You're not I, seeing PP two as soon as that happens. Right? No, like, well, it's done. Well, it's over with. Yeah. And then to Sammy's point, I mean, you do have to win a draw. Yeah. To start this thing and, and puck possession, and then you get into that old that basketball feel where they all gain the zone, and it's like, nah, let's regroup. Let's all come back out again, and we'll go back in. I, I mean, hate that part, too, three like, on three. Camp is a 53% guy, and so is Matthews, you know? Like, I just... Yep. Superstition. Yep. Yeah, I know. It's don't, superstitious Don't nonsense. ask how. Just ask how many. You're, you know, right. you're Now you're nailing putts and chipping again. Keep camp right. out there. Hypnotherapy. No argument. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Sammy, you're going to track down Barry Trotz, yes, one of the winningest coaches in NHL history. He's on the on-deck circle here on the Real Kipper and Bourne Show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you are. Live Sportsnet 590, the fan, YouTube channel downloading on itunes and spotify we're glad you're aboard give us a rating and review and a thumbs up and we're back with barry trotz smart takes on the biggest stories in sports the fan drive time with ben ennis subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, Derek Brandeo, and lovely Jennifer Roland. All along for the next hour or so, we got Barry Trotz momentarily. We've got Jamal Mayers that we will discuss uh, his thoughts on uh, the Leafs and Rangers last night covering the game with JB. And uh, let's welcome in Barry Trotz. Really appreciate your time, Trotz. Uh, where are you? How are you enjoying your time off? <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm actually in Winnipeg right now uh, for another day. So uh, just traveling, doing some family things, and uh, watching watching some hockey and doing all the things that you guys are probably doing. Awesome, awesome. Uh, you know, things did quiet down a little bit. Uh, if, if I can go back to uh, earlier in the year, you – caused us some excitement with uh your talk about coaching in canada i think you mentioned an original six team i think you mentioned a, a uh, maybe a city that uh, involved a freestanding structure uh, maybe off one of the five great lakes uh, <laughs> well no, maybe not so no, much i don't think i did no 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 not I so much that's, but uh, that's, uh that's fallacy right there <laughs> um you know everybody thinks that that's uh you know it's directed at that that wasn't the case i was, I was asked that question you know uh you know you've done lots in the game is there anything that you you haven't done and that's the only thing that came to mind so um yeah, that 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 gets blown out of proportion yeah. every time i i speak to you guys something is either tweeted or or out of proportion so uh it's part of the business and i understand that but uh don't read in, into anything i'm not i'm not doing anything this year so, no we're we're uh, just having some coaching, fun here so. trots but i mean you you've coached um in 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 Nashville, Washington, and even the island. But even to go back to to, to just talk about uh, what you just said, it does remind you or many others uh, how in Canada uh, it's almost tenfold sometimes on on what things can be said or or how they can be taken out of context. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that's that's part of the business, and that's uh, you have a passionate country that that loves its game, and uh, and uh, you know I get to, I got to see it uh, firsthand on the other side a little bit more than usual this year, just because I'm uh, I'm out there as, like a fan and uh, you know watching games and uh, you know reading reading stuff I probably never would have uh, read before or listening to stuff that I didn't have the time to, to listen to before. So uh, all good. It's all good. It's all part of the business, and it's it's part of the territory. So, uh, But I have a, a different perspective a little bit uh, this year than I maybe had, had the last uh, 25. Barry, getting the chance to actually step back and watch 32 teams play games and sort of reflect on how you've coached before and uh, how you want to coach in the future, has anything changed for you watching this year going, okay, I like that little tidbit that team does or I didn't think of it that way? Has anything changed being able to step back from the day-to-day of it all? Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that I think that uh, uh, coaches that have coached long in the league, uh, I've learned from you know, guys uh, in the past is that you have to stay current. You know, they, uh, the one thing, uh, you know, the Claire Drakes and the George Kingston's uh, of the world when I started, Wayne Fleming, people like that, uh, they always talked about staying current. And a lot of this current stuff is, is it comes from the lower leagues because uh, you, you have less at stake, if you will. And then it continue to have some foundational stuff that has been in the game for a hundred years that, that it has to be sort of taught a, a little bit uh, and, and evolve. It's, you know, continues to evolve, but foundational stuff are always there. But uh, yeah, there's, it, it, the game is way different uh, uh, than it was 20 years ago. Just the, the skill level is, is unbelievable right now. Um, the, the, the way players think uh, things that they try. I mean, it's, it's pretty special time. Uh, you know, you know, back in the day when, uh, you know, growing up and, you know, uh, Jason, you saw Mario Lemieux and, and people like that, you know, they're doing stuff, Gretz. Uh, and now you're seeing, you know, uh, you know, I watched the prospect game last night and you see some of these kids, you know, trying the Michigan and, and making unbelievable plays through people. And uh, it's, uh, it's a different time and they think differently. So you've got to evolve with it. We're talking to Barry Trott, Stanley Cup winning coach, third all time in NHL history with 914 wins. When uh, we spoke to Mark Recchi the other day, Trotz, and uh, he wrote a, a terrific article in NHL.com on some of the challenges that uh, Rick Tockett may have in Vancouver. And the, one of the things he stressed is he'd probably want to go in there and and, and uh, work on his player rela- relationships with core players. And, you know, he also spoke in, in an earlier era, and we broke in, I broke in with you and, um, Doug McLean and, and Brian Murray. And I'm like, you know, back then we just kept our mouths shut and we, you know, we just did what we were <laughs> supposed to do and nobody had to explain anything to me, nor was I expecting any explanations, but that part of the game has really changed now. So, I mean, part of that evolution that you're talking about is, is player relationships. Is it more important than ever um, in, in your mind or is there a fine line there? Well, I think you have to have relationships because what relationships do is build trust. And you look at the successful coaches. I watch, you know, football. I watch all the other things. And the successful coaches always have relationships. They're not bullied by 
the star players or anything. They just have a relationship and they, they have a partnership is probably a better way to say it uh, where, you know, both sides have an understanding and as much as you want to tell a player, Hey, I need you to do this, this, you also have to listen as well. And I think over time, uh, you know, evolution of the player, evolution of the game, um, you know, you have to have that. And if you don't have that, it, it'll work for a little while. And then, uh, when you need it most, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll backfire on you in terms of, of not having relationships. So, um, I think it's really important. I think players expect it. Um, players have a voice and, and, they, you know, you've got to, you've got to listen to them, but at the same time you have to, if you know, the game and if you, if it's about winning, getting the player to buy into uh, a winning culture, or if you're trying to, to establish that or, or just winning games, uh, the, the game has to be played a certain way at certain times and certain situations in the game. Uh, with an understanding of the bottom line is, is winning hockey games. Everybody wants to get their points. Everybody wants to get their ice time. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, if you want to be a champion in this business, uh, you have to sacrifice something so that the, for the betterment of the team all the time. And uh, the great players do that. Uh, you see it across the board, uh, all, all of them, and you know, uh, you know, the SIDS and the OVs, and they've all done that. And they've all had to go through that evolution, and so, um, you know, the, the the new age players are going to you know, that are coming into the league are have to have to learn it, and they're going to have to learn it from veteran players and, and coaches. Uh, you know, I, I know Kipper, you're a great veteran. You you you, you showed up every day and uh, left it on the line, and uh, that's you know that's what endeared you to to the, the fan bases and the teammates. Barry, I want to ask you a tactical question because I, I remember when you took over for Doug Waite in Long Island, the Islanders were terrible defensively, and you turned them around uh, in impressive fashion. Rick Tockett has that uh, you know, a challenge ahead of him with the Vancouver Canucks. I, I know for years the team's always played sort of a layered zone defense. I know that now sometimes they'll go to more man-on-man depending on the personnel. You know, what do you think is the right way to play in your own D zone? How do you fix a team that has such problems? Is it based on who your personnel is? Is there one right way to do it? Well, I don't know if there's a right way or a wrong way. It it, it can be personnel-based if you don't have great skaters uh or great thinkers, the, the, you know, sometimes a man on man will work for you, you know, uh, uh, or you play a zone if, if you want to pack it in. So I don't, I, I would say whatever works for the personnel, whatever you can get them to buy in, because I know, um, you know, a team like uh, Tampa Bay has, has done a couple things over the evolution of, of, of Coop's time. And, you know, they're a, a sort of a clap zone down low, and then they're sort of man, man on man up top. Um, you know, uh, you look at uh, uh, Boston uh, plays a you know sort of a zone, and they 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 hold their wingers in the middle and on the wall. They keep people from cycling on them. Um, that is a, a, a you know it's very successful. You just need the right pers- uh, the sort of the right people on your team, being your key people, buying into what you're selling. And uh, once you do that, and the, and to me, uh, playing defense is a choice. It's as much as it is coaching. It's a player's choice if they want to, because it's you can teach defense, but the players have to choose to do it. Yeah. And if they don't choose to do it, then uh, you know. Um, but you have to have accountability, and I always think that uh, 
when you don't have the puck, uh, the, the best foundation that you're going to have is really good structure and then accountability. You know, uh, one of the things I said to, to Ovi when, uh, when I went to Washington and, you know, they were a very offensive team and he was the captain at the time, as I said, you know, the whole whole deal on defense is just, is just a choice, and and uh, when you have the puck, I want you to you know play offensively. I want you to make plays because that's what you guys do. But when we don't have the puck, we've got to have a plan to get it back. And I think teams that have good plans on getting the puck back and what I call protocols on certain situations on kickout plays off the rush, recycle plays in the zone, everybody has their. You know, the, their sticks in the right position. They come to the right spots, and they communicate if there's uh, anything that breaks down. And, and one of the things that I always teach is recognize danger. It is not perfect. There's guys that will pick you. A guy will fall down. There will be a line change. Uh, you have to recognize danger, and you have to protect uh, the dangerous areas. So um, I'm always pre- like protecting the middle of the ice because uh, I think the goaltenders are so good in the National Hockey League that you can keep them to the outside for the most part, then uh, uh, then you're going to have success. And, and uh, through the neutral zone, having proper spacing so that you don't have to give up the blue lines as, as easily as uh, uh, because once players start going laterally on you, then then all uh, as they say, all hell breaks loose. I want to get to OV and, and Washington, who's uh, in town on the weekend against the Toronto Maple Leafs on Sunday. But just uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Barry, that. Over your twenty plus years as a coach, but you you've never had to come in halfway through into a, a season, correct? No, I, I have have not. Yeah. Uh, in the minors, I had to, to finish a season one year, uh, but uh, never come in halfway through. Would um, would the adjustments be much different for for Rick than it would say you know to start uh, you know eighty two games? Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, you know you, you look at the schedule with a. Uh, with teams at this point in the year playing every second day, you know, you've got to balance that, how much teaching, how much practice, how much, you know, how much information can you, can you give them? I, I think what Rick uh, is probably doing and, and uh, is probably number one is building relationships and putting some foundational blocks into them uh, in terms of the, how they play, give them a little bit of structure give them a, a little bit of predictability uh, so that, uh, you know, they're, they're a real good offensive team. I think anyways, uh, uh, they've got lots of, lots of pieces in Vancouver offensively and, and uh, they've just got to tighten it up and make a, a few commitments defensively. And if they do that, play it with pace and, and uh, you know, make proper line changes, all those very, very basic things that uh, sort of seep into your game when it's not going well. Uh, get those in line and uh, give them a, a little bit of a plan and, and just sort of chip away at that plan uh, over the course from you know now to the end of the season. Barry, I've had a number of people ask me, like, why would Rick Tockett want the Canucks job with what a tire fire it is? But I, and I've tried to say to people, like, there's 32 head coaching jobs. You know, there's not that many that come up, and they're they're all valuable. I just, for my own sake, seeing you waiting for an opportunity, do you ever get nervous? Do you think, like, you just want to get back in for the next one that comes up, or do you really feel in a position to, if it takes a couple of years to find the right spot, you're able to do that? Well, I think uh, mine was, uh, I've been pretty transparent. I've, I've taken care of some family matters that I put on the back burner for a number of years. So, yeah. um, 
you know, if I, I, I feel like I'm in a little different position. I'm probably more in the back end of my career than the, the, the you know, the middle or the, the front of it. So you have a different perspective, I think. Um, but uh, I think, you know, it's, it's the best league in the world, the best players in the world. Um, and there's 32 jobs and there's 32 of the, of the premier jobs in the national hockey league. And as a coach, I never minded going into a tough situation. I always felt that yeah, that's where you can make impact. Uh, and I think Rick sure. looked at it and goes, you know what? I can, I can have impact in this market with this team and this group of players. And uh, it is a great city. And uh, it's one of the, you know, the premier jobs uh, in the world when it comes to coaching hockey. And there's 32 of them and he's got one of them. And, uh, you know, he's going to try to make his, his mark on, on the Vancouver Canucks, which I think he'll, he, he'll do a great job. Barry, a guy that uh, helped uh, put a Stanley Cup ring on, on your finger, Ovechkin's in on the weekend here, and uh, another 30-plus goals with another 30-plus games to go, and not so much can he break Gretzky's record, but now maybe by how many? Oh, yeah, it really, it, it's amazing. He's, like, we, we don't realize, we may never see an athlete like this uh, ever again. Uh, and, and if you really dig into, you know, the, his, his beginning when he, when he, when he started playing and right to where he is now, it is, it's a pretty remarkable thing that he's played for, you know, the old Soviet regime, if you will, uh, at the tail end of it, um, all the way to, you know, the new NHL where, you know, they're, they're trying Michigans and stuff like that. And, what amazes me more is durability, and I and I've said that uh, a number of times. His durability and his ability to score um, is is phenomenal, and I, I don't know if we're going to see that combination ever again. I mean, there's been some big players, you know, they're great players, Eric Lindros, um, but you know, even as big as Eric was, uh, you know, the durability factor, uh, you know, uh, ended up being a factor in his career. Uh, the durability with Ovi is just phenomenal. And uh, he, he doesn't play a light game, as you know. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think he's going to break the record. And he's missed a couple seasons because of lockouts and shortened seasons and all that. I think he'd be all over that record right now. Um, but I, I think he's, in, in my mind, I think he's going to go for a round number. So, uh, you know, he's going to hit that, that 900 mark or whatever it is. Uh, uh, something that me- is meaningful to him, I guess, is what I'm saying, because he's got certain things. Uh, you know, that obviously, aid is great. Is something that it's, is very valuable to him, and uh, th- there'll be something of that with some significance that he'll put into it, and he'll stay there and get it. And at that point, he'll, you know, he'll drop the mic and walk away from the game as the greatest goal scorer that we know. Yeah, no kidding on that. One more for me, uh, Barry, and that's, uh, I think I, if I'm correct, uh, I heard you earlier saying that uh, you've really shut down the thought of coaching this season. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think uh, where I am right now, I, I think I've I'm just shut it down for this year. And uh, I've had some opportunities during the year that popped up, and I and I turned them down. So I think I'm just going the full year. But all bets are off. Summer. I mean, you'd like to be coaching September, October. Yeah. Well, we look forward to that. <laughs> we look forward to that, Barry. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. All right. Take care. That's Thanks, Barry, Barry Trotz.
third winningest coach in NHL history, 914. That is a lot of hockey games. That is that is crazy. Just yeah, sorry, 914 wins. God, yes. I thought Bruce Boudreau had a gazillion at 600. That is unbelievable. God, that was uh, the answer he gave to my how to defend question. I was taking notes on it like it was I don't know the most important test in my life. The, the what a fascinating bunch of what insights. What stood out for you the most on that? The willingness to adapt the system to the personnel. Like, if you have dumb players, he didn't say that, but if you have dumb players, you can't play a zone with a lot of switching in layers. If you have great skaters, you might just want to play man-on-man and just chase guys around and be okay and simplify. So it depends who you have. And also it stood out that he mentioned that Tampa Bay has used different systems under Cooper, which means that Cooper adapts based on the game and his own personnel. That interested me, too. I wrote all that down. I'm going to take that to the zigzags on Monday, and we're going to we're going to get to work, boys. Switch systems. Hey, dump it in and dump it out. That's all you got to tell your zigzags. Okay, that's it. Go get it, and then get off the ice. Yeah, it's. Uh, I wonder if it was a a difference of uh, philosophy when it came to maybe I don't know defending or or something. I, I just I find it still weird that uh, you know it was a kind of a surprise parting between Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarello in, in the island, JB. You can't tell me it wasn't like succession and there was some sort of power struggle between Lou and Barry. I, you know, something happened there to me, you know, whether it was Barry not wanting to use the same personnel as Lou, you know, Lou Barry not deploying the personnel the way Lou wanted him to. It can't just be based on performance because he got the Islanders to play a, a pretty tight system. They 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 look structured to me. You saying Lou's hard headed? Oh, who would imply that? I don't think he's stubborn at all. I don't know. He's what's Lou gonna do? Is he a seller? A buyer? Do you know how do you know how old Lou is? Seventy five, I would guess. Seventy nine. Eighty. Wow. He's eighty. Is he did he turn eighty? I believe he's eighty, yeah. I got I was told he was eighty yesterday. I'm gonna Google it to confirm. Lamo Riello. Here we go. He is. Uh, apparently he doesn't want to tell me. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Yeah, so he's 80. He was he's born old. in 1942. There you go. There's your answer. So he's 80 years old. Remember, 81 like, on October 24th. Are we going to say like uh, like 80s, like the new 70? Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 80s now back to 80, I think. <laughs> Yeah. What I think. Turns out 80 is reflective of exactly yes, the age he exactly. is. Exactly. Uh, Lou, Lou's too stubborn to sell, I think. Still got some juice. We know that. I, I wouldn't mess with them. Um, all right. We're going to take a break or anything else you want to touch on? Uh, fourth line, Holmberg's goal, boys. Kind of impressive last night. Oh, my God. Rocket. Like An absolute backhanded rocket. Solid finish. Yeah. Can I say that, and without a ounce of regret in my voice that that was a Sidney Crosby-esque backhand. 100% it was. It really was. It was like... It, no different. It actually looked like Sidney Crosby's move. Because he, he caught it and he caught it. Separated. And dropped the, dropped the shoulder. Like, it's almost a smack motion to it where he doesn't wrist it on his back and he smacks it like Crosby. So what I'm saying On is... pace for 12 or 30, he's Crosby, basically. <laughs> Push for Pontus. We got robbed. You want to hear the clip about the fourth line last yeah, night? Yeah, let's go to that before we go to break. Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, Joey... Drew a couple penalties, got an assist, and 
Um, the line got us going. They took a, too many men in the ice penalty, which you don't want to see that. But um, I thought we got good minutes from them. It became harder to play them. Just, you know, the, in New York, especially when they move Kreider down with Trocek, it's you know, three lines that are really good and really dangerous, and they didn't use their fourth line much either. So it was tougher to get them a lot of minutes. But uh, from what we got from them, I was happy. Listen, uh, there's no question that they're still searching for something on that fourth line. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely they are. I mean, they've got some found money in McMahon and Holmberg. Now it's can anyone else do it? Is Joey Anderson ready to be a contributor? This goes back to you know our conversations this week about finding a fourth line that plays like a fourth line, wants to be a fourth line, does their best in six minutes and doesn't complain. I think Keith nailed it there, though. They had a nice hot start to the game, but I thought they got played off the ice by the end of the game in terms yeah. of him not trusting them, him not them not looking. The Rangers are really good, and that's a team that's, you know, that's a playoff-style team, and that could be a little warning sign for Kyle Dubas and co. when your head coach is saying, hey, we can't play them in a close game in the third period, that you might want to address the bottom half of the team. But, yeah, the, the, yep. you know, nice goal by Pontus. Yeah, you're really right. nice. Yeah, but, you know, thinking of that Tampa Bay fourth line that gets put out there in those situations, it's yeah. certainly different than that. Absolutely. All right, we got uh, Jamal Mayers coming up uh, after the break. And, JB, you were on the show uh, Wednesday Night Hockey last night covering the Rangers and the Leafs. Did you carry him for most of the night? Because I was at the game. You know what? I tried not to get between him and Stewie. They were they disagreed about every conceivable topic last night. Uh, we can get uh, get Jamal's thoughts on a lot of things, um, all things least related toughness, depositioning. Well, I'm on Jamal's side, so we'll go to bat for him. Okay, we'll get his thoughts on <laughs> your performance last night on the panel. That and more after the break. You're watching and listening to Real Kipper and Born. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll get Jamal Mayers in momentarily. Well, maybe secondly, as he <laughs> comes on the show. Mayersy, what's going on? How you guys doing? All right. So... You worked last night, right? Yeah. Uh, how was our uh, How was our boy uh, JB? How, rate his performance last night. <laughs> uh, great analysis. Uh, his hair was on point. Um, he clearly didn't pick his suit because it looked great. So, no, it's easy to work with. It's fun. Mersey's just saying that because I had his back in his debates with Stewie. I appreciate it, Jamal. But you, you guys could have had a whole show just disagreeing on uh, on plays last night. Well, I don't know what game he's watching. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. There's only there's only one way to see it. He's picking on a kid who's played one period of hockey. I'm like, it's not his fault. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. So, uh, you and Stewie left after the first game. Yeah. And then you left JB to work like the crappy uh, 1 a.m. hour. Is that is that equivalent to letting the rookie skate around uh, uh, by himself in warm-up? No, 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 no. That's, it's not the way it happens. You know this. I, that's, <laughs> actually, he did me a favor because originally I wasn't supposed to be on late. Then they asked me to stay, and I had already had my brother coming in from out of town. So 
on a train. So I, you know, he was nice enough to stay late. Usually I get the late shifts. I don't know what he's telling <laughs> you over there, but I get I get the uh, the tough ones. So he'll let you go out with your your brother, but he'll he'll uh, he'll let me work alone in the studio today because he's at a winter concert. <laughs> I'm getting buried here. What's going on? <laughs> Hey, listen, right. wh- whatever, the case is, whatever the case is, whatever the case is, you guys, uh, you brought them some luck because they pulled the, the game off. Uh, and we're speaking, of course, the Toronto Maple Leafs against the New York Rangers. Just your overall thoughts, Marzi, of, of, the, of the game that you saw for 60 minutes and, and what maybe the Leafs did or didn't do um, throughout the game. You know what? They're, they're a team that's finding different ways to win. Um they're showing a, a more consistent defensive effort. They're more committed defensively. Uh, you know, I think they're they're growing as a team, and and that's what really good teams do. Is they, I wouldn't say they played their best, but you're not going to have your best every night. And finding a way to win, as you know, is is part of the process of becoming a championship team. So, and I like that they're they mix. You know, they split up Matthews and Marner for a bit. Now they're back together and. It's nice for them that they have a little bit more depth uh, in their in their attack, and that they have other options. And if it isn't working, they have the ability to switch things up, which I think is going to become even more important as they go down the stretch. Jamal, I thought it was really interesting uh, getting to hang with you last night and, and hearing you weigh in on you know Lilligren gets buried, nothing happens. Then Geo gets buried, and nothing happens. And not necessarily you know you saying that you can't win like that, but it's just if you were sitting at home on another team, that would make you feel a certain way about the Leafs. Yeah, I mean, listen, I know that there's no more fighting. I'm not a dinosaur. I I, I get that, but the game does regress, as you both know, and the referees. Whatever they say, and I argue with Peels all the time because he tells me the numbers don't support my argument because they call the same amount of penalties or even more. But they let certain things go in the playoffs. The game is becomes uh, more difficult to play, harder to play. And and when you're uh, when you don't have a response, and I'm talking about team toughness. I'm not talking about fighting. When you don't respond to certain things, people, I would, and I'm sure. Uh, other players would do the same as you, you make a, a mental footnote. Oh, you can kind of take advantage of these guys. You can kind of be a little bit, you know, you can run them over and nothing's going to happen. And I, I would think that watching them and I would take note mentally that, all right, you can take advantage of these guys because they're not going to respond to it. And I guess my, I just want them to respond as a group because the pack mentality matters. And if if there's five guys that jump in, and if you have to kill a penalty in the middle of the season to prove a point, I don't have a problem with that either. I'll throw this out to both of you guys that we've watched uh, this kind of internal battle on uh, on a fourth line uh, the last year and a half, two years, and now it's fine. Hunt, bring him in. He's out. Uh, Aston Reese looked like he had a lock there for a little while. Finds himself on the outside. Joey Anderson comes back in. Uh, is is enough enough? Do they have to go outside the organization and find uh, a legitimate guy that can maybe bring those elements that you just spoke of and once and for all solidify something on the fourth line? Honestly, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see them pick up a guy like Jonathan Tays and put him in the three hole and move camp to the fourth line, and, and that solves your problem. I, I think that 
you don't really need a fourth line. I know it's nice to say we have balance and we have all these things. You don't really need it. You need guys to go out there and change momentum. You need guys who can kill penalties. You need them to eat minutes and not get scored on. And I don't, I don't know. I just think that you're right. They don't have the answer for that, that bottom line. But if you bring in someone to fix that third line um, to make it better, then you're going to push someone down and then it becomes less important. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think they're, they're, I'm sure they're looking and there are options out there and it becomes a lot easier as certain guys' cap numbers go down to be able to fit it in. Um, but that's what I would like to see. I'd like to see them kind of, you know, fit someone in in that three-hole um, and maybe push camp down to the fourth line. Well, another topic we kicked around last night was the idea of Austin Matthews blocking shots. He's now first in the NHL in block shots amongst forwards. Last night nearly taking one in the wrist in the process. Uh, you think uh, may- maybe not so much of that for you? I'm a, I am I will go to the grave saying that that is ridiculous. He should not be blocking shots. It's ridiculous. That's, 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 that's our job. We can block shots. Now, listen, it's different than him going out to the point and he's like 10 feet away and takes one in the shin pad. That's different than him standing on one knee or going on one knee in the slot with a guy taking a slapper. You're just inviting a broken wrist, a, a broken ankle. Uh, I, I don't, you don't need him to blocking shots. And I'll tell you what, and I said this, I think, last night, I would get pissed when uh, – when Taser would block shots, killing penalties. Like, we're not winning without him, right? So let me block the shot. Or let let the goalie stop the puck. But you don't need Matthews leading the league and blocking shots. I'm sorry. That's a recipe for disaster because you're not winning without him. Yeah, you know, and and yet we've marveled all season long at the Leafs' ability to play defense now and take away those lanes. And how many... How many times do we not we, we watch and, and we don't see pucks reach their goalie because they just seem to be in the right place at the right time? And and that's okay for 85, 90% of your lineup, but not a few guys, including Marner, I would believe that you'd feel the same way? Uh, I do. Uh, maybe I'm uh, – that's just what I think. I, I, I honestly – it's different when you're standing in the slot. You know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? When you're like 25 feet away, that that's not your job. Like, let let Geo block those. Let the D block those. Like, I'm sorry, that's not for those top three players to be blocking shots. Like, Willie Nylander, no, don't block those. Tavares, don't block those. Matthews, don't block those. And Marner, don't block those. Because you're not. <laughs> you can't be yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I totally, I totally get that. It's a, a perspective thing, and I, I like that perspective. You know, one of the uh, the teams that has a couple of good defensive forwards blocked a few shots. Old Ryan O'Reilly there in St. Louis. I know, I know you've watched this team closely for years. Do you? They got a lot of available pieces. If they are sellers, do you expect them to be sellers? What's going to happen for that team over the next few months? Well, the fortunate thing is that Army is. He's been around a long time, and he, no one knows the team better than he does. And I think that if he were to, you know, fairly, you know, look at his group and, and analyze, you know, are they are they a contending team? And I think that I think the realization is that they 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 really aren't. They're not quite there. And to me, the fact that they had a couple of injuries kind of 
helps make that decision easier for him in the in regard to you know letting those two guys go and and it it's a tough decision obviously because they wouldn't have a Stanley Cup without O'Reilly and he's meant so much he's such a good person and I can't understate how much he does and and you don't even see in the community he's such a quality person but I think that you know they could get a lot for him and and maybe they can do you know trading Tarasenko and O'Reilly does that give them a position where they're now back in contention because they get pieces that teams that are about to win need and and then you have to evaluate like how what length of contract is he going to want is he going to want um you know Nazem Kadri term like are you willing to commit that to him or Tarasenko so very tough decisions. I think the injuries and the fact that they're out of the playoff picture right now make it a little easier for him. My inclination would be that they they see what they can get and they trade those two. Which, you got your choice, or let me phrase it differently now. Um, where would teams go that would be looking for a, a top centerman or a top six centerman? Would, they, would you go... O'Reilly or Bo Horvat? And I know there's a, a swing of maybe, what, uh, three or four years uh, that O'Reilly's older. But, I mean, you're trying to win the Stanley Cup this year. Who do you who do you take? Yeah, you're trying to win now. You'd probably pick O'Reilly. But if you're looking at, you, you, depending on what you'd have to give up, right? So the more you give up, the more likely you're going to want to sign that player for more. Um, so there's a lot, certainly, that goes into it. But, I think that the the age is a huge factor, um, and I think that would make Bo Horvat more attractive long term. But if you're looking to win this year, um, it's hard to make a better argument than O'Reilly and what he can do to a group. Jammer, the coverage of NHL hockey has changed a lot, and that includes the the type of work that you and I and other people have to do. What are your thoughts on uh, gambling and and the way it's affecting the game? Um, You know, are you a guy who bets money yourself? I am, you know, full disclosure. I do throw down some shekels here and there. What are your thoughts on gambling's connection to the NHL? Yeah, I'm not not really a gambler. I don't really gamble, but um, I think it's a great part to – increased revenue and it's it makes it exciting and and uh a lot more interesting for the casual fan to get into it i think it's a great idea great partnership the intriguing part for me is that the reason why the nfl discloses every single injury is because of the betting and it's just still peculiar for me that we still go with ubi and it's like are we not to the point where they want to know exactly what the heck's wrong with a guy like are we not past that point and the game's so fast you can't if a guy has a hurt a shoulder that's bad in the playoffs, you might go after him. But the game's so quick, you don't have time to go after someone's sore knee or sore ankle or whatever might be ailing, ailing him. So uh, I think I'm ready for uh, them to actually tell us exactly what's wrong with those guys. But I'm surprised the gambling hasn't made that happen. Were you surprised that uh, Gary Bettman was so uh, adamant about uh, sending the message that there's – there's no tanking in hockey. <laughs> well, he was very uh, careful in the choice of his wording. Uh, I think he said that the players and the coaches don't tank. And I think the argument that everyone has made is that, that, that could, that's true, but management could strip the team down and, and, 
you know, not give coaches the pieces and, and, and in effect, you know, be tanking. I think that the reality is uh, you're not really improving your, your position that much. Um, so is it really worth it for a 70, 75% chance you're not going to get that player? Um, but I think teams have to be bad before they're good. You build your team through the draft. So I think that's part of a it's hard, fans don't want to hear that, right? Our team's tanking. Like, what are we doing? And we don't even get the player. Like what, but the reality is you have to be bad before you can be good. And any team that's done it the right way uh, has had some growing pains. And I think a really good example of that is the patience that uh, Sakic has had and what he's built in Colorado. And another great example is, what Eiserman's doing in Detroit and how they're they're going to be good in a few years because of his patience. patience. For sure. So uh, last one for me, I want to get your thoughts on a tanking team you know well is that Chicago Blackhawks team. And uh, obviously you know Taves and Kane. Do you think those guys will, will actually move? Would it actually happen for one, two, both, none of them? What do you think is going to go down there? Uh, I think for me Taves would be the, the – the, uh, quicker one to move i think that his desire to to win not they both have a desire to win i think that they both feel tied to the organization they're in a very difficult decision it's their it's going to be their choice ultimately um but i it's 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 hard i i think that at the end of the day they both want to do what's right for the organization they're both going to end up saying if you think it'll help then i'll move on um Tough position for both of them, but I think that I think they both get moved. Um, I think organizationally, it'd be a really um, tough thing to to not have them move, and then they move on anyway at the end of the year. Um, as hard as it is to make that decision, I think letting it play out makes it easier for the organization to move them. And I think they both get moved. Is my instinct. Just to stay one more uh, 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 question on on the topic of Chicago, and it's always not great for the National Hockey League that uh, original six teams struggle, but we've got two in Montreal and Chicago. Uh, Are Chicago Blackhawk fans uh, totally on board on this switch and their patience and their ability to move off of two of the best players in franchise history and everything's going to be okay in Chicago? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's tough. Oh, you have to know. <laughs> what do you think? You think exactly. you, you, you think it's uh, you think they'll stay away? They, if we go back to the early two thousands, man, there were some scary moments in Chicago when you looked in the stands and really didn't see many people. Yeah, they're like they they're gonna need another gain or taste to be drafted. Like they they will need a, a special player to come in there and and another give them Connor. hope again. Another Bedard, a, a Bedard. Yeah, I mean that's that's the type of thing it's going to take if you lose those two guys, right? So um, they haven't had a lot of success in the in a lot of the younger players that they've drafted recently. Um, a lot of them they've moved moved away at or traded away anyway. So, yeah, I think the fans are becoming frustrated, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. This is a pivotal moment and big decisions looming for the organization. Mary's a great job, buddy. Really appreciate your time. You're back at work tonight? Yeah, one more night. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. Jamal Mary's. Be well.
You good, JB? Uh, all good. The uh, yeah, the man, the man knows his stuff. It was fascinating uh, getting to work with him and hear his thoughts on uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and some of those uh, more contentious conversations. about Matthews blocking shots is a fascinating one for me. That is the most mind blowing. I had stat. no idea. Same. When I saw that, I was. I don't think of him blocking shots. It's like him, then Nick Benino. Like that's the type of company he's keeping there. I I don't really know how to. Me. <laughs> I feel, like I I kind of feel like you know the the Dumb and Dumber clip. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because I watch every single night. I watch every game. I'm locked in, and I n- feel like I never see it happen. When does it happen? He gets hit with a lot of pucks. Are you feeling the same way, Kipper, here? Like, I feel very dumb at this moment. I don't know. I mean, if if I know that he's constantly there, I I would think twice about, you know, firing one off his ankle. You wouldn't think twice? No, I wouldn't think twice about it. That's an old Dennis Poffin quote, isn't it? Something like, if someone slides to block a shot at me, I'll shoot the first one at his face and it won't happen again. (laughs) Listen, you're trying to win a Stanley Cup playoff round. Yeah, he's blocking shots. Uh, you know, I That's mean, sociopathic behavior. That, 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 can, that can make you think twice about going, ah, he's not wrong. Then he's not wrong. I'd fight my mom to win another there you go. That's Brad May. <laughs> I lack the mom fighting gene. I think going. at the last second he would bail out on that. Just catch him in the neck. But up until like that split second, Mayday's got a lot of loose marbles. <laughs> the wires can cross in satchel just in time yeah yeah all right um you want to uh talk about uh your game last night your double header jb vancouver canucks yeah do i have to i mean man that it was funny because watching vancouver that first night you're playing the blackhawks new coach at home bump 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 Huge. they were flying great, yeah great night now was- uh I, we sammy i asked you to clip just uh, Rick Tockett. I I have a clip of him. I went through uh, both scrums, which were fascinating. Yes. But I clipped the the one clip where he sounds the most positive yes. possible. So if we could hear the first clip after they beat the Chicago Blackhawks two nights ago. I thought the guys played really hard. You know, that we had a lot of power plays early. And then we um, had some possession time. Then we got a little antsy. Uh, Chicago, I thought Chicago had... Is really good rush team to get off the rush. They had a couple of chances, but I thought we, were, we limited, uh, especially the second half. Um, guys hung in there. We had uh, went to three lines for a little bit, and I thought they had some short shifts. We, we, we got a little antsy, though. Some guys taking long shifts, and we got it back on the rail, so I'm proud of them for doing that. Proud of them. Yeah. And he, used he, one, he used one more word that I remembered in his scrum that you didn't clip. Oh, the structure one? Yes. So... The context with which he said it in didn't necessarily fit our narrative, so <laughs> I, I would, didn't go. I with would it. have avoided that word entirely. Yeah. Well, he was talking about the top teams, how yes. you know how they like the avalanche and all this, and there's certain structures that you need to play with. I don't think yes. he was. No, I know that. So I didn't want to take put our boy on the spot. Okay, they, I was very they journalistic. Shot Chicago forty-eight to fourteen in that game. They had they had eighty shot attempts against Chicago in night one, and oh boy. Was that not the case against Seattle? It was yakety sacks, Benny Hill. Would you like to hear the first clip from last night? Very much. That's a good team right there. Um, you know, I don't know if the anxiety caught up to some of the guys, you know, the motions last week, but whew, that was bad tonight. That was bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oof, he says. <laughs> Oof, that was bad tonight. That was bad. <laughs> he sounds like he sounds like he's back doing hits with us talking about teams. He sounds like our show. Oof, that's yeah. that's uh, him on the panel. I think. Oof, that's yeah. bad. Yeah. That's when you're, you're pretending your kid, you know, the, your kid made you dinner, and you're pretending they did a great job, and you just can't anymore. And he called his team after game yeah, we, two. We ha- Would you like to hear yeah. that? Yeah, okay. let's hear the second clip. Yeah, soft. It was a you know you hate to call your team soft, but it was soft tonight. You know we didn't uh, didn't participate on the wall battles. We didn't get a rim out. You know that we knew we're they're you know this is a good team. We didn't play predictable. We started regrouping like old habits. You know. Old habits came. We were just talking the coach stuff. Man, I wish I had about 10 practices. I really do. And uh, as it shows tonight that we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Ooh. Bruce. What do you say? And he's like, 100 said- practices. <laughs> That's what he would like. <laughs> he said, uh, there was other, like, just a clip after that. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm speechless. Speechless. I forgot too. What do you? I can't believe he said he probably regretted the second he said soft. That's quite a thing to say. But or or it's like, listen, I'm going to be the guy who has some accountability and calls people out. I know. And here's the problem, though. Trotz mentioned like, that too. Accountability. Where, where do you go after that, though? You gotta yeah. like. I, I wouldn't. I know it's probably it, it's correct. He's not wrong, as Brad May has told us many times on this show. He's not wrong, but... Well, it's not good. Oh, it's not good. <laughs> Sorry. He's right on that, too. It's yes, not good. It's not good. But I, where are you going to go if you need something to rattle them in game five or game ten? Like, I don't know where you go after, you know, you guys are soft. That's like, a, uh, yeah, need, well, listen. You need to save a couple of those bullets down the road. Soft. It was a, you know, you hate to... I think it just fell out of his head. He just—that's what he saw and what he thought. And I, I actually like the idea of a clearly establishing a difference in the way things are going to be judged and seen by him. You know, like this is an era that it's going to matter to him. We didn't participate in the wall battles, he says. Which, if you're one of the, you know, eight wingers on the team, you're like, that's me. That's He's an important talking. spot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a priority for old coach. You know, this is, uh, I think that's really good. I, you know, I, I watched them play last night and they chase all over the rink. It's like they got no trust. They run at guys and then they get beat. And it's just like, they need some composure. They need to participate in the wall battles and they need to not be soft. And they need a hundred practices. Yeesh. I've got my, oof. uh, oof. I got my article I wrote today in the Toronto Star that kind of just uh, wraps up a little bit of the Bruce Boudreaux scenario I in Vancouver. It, Sorry, buddy. So, what's that? I forgot to read I read it. it. That's I okay. Read it. Um, but the gist of my column today is that uh, maybe we're just a little bit too honest these days, whether it's Jimmy Rutherford or a coach. I mean, maybe we. there's just times when you just got to uh, – Keep it a little closer. I mean, I read that article, a very good article, and I was like, whose team are you on, Kip? We, you know, we, we, we need this stuff. No. This is the juice. No, 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 this no, is... no. Now you're thinking like a broadcaster. I am thinking just, like a broadcaster. But the whole, the whole basis is like 
you know, you, you, you want the inside stuff. You want to look. You want to draw the curtain. And, you know, there's a chance that you're going to you're going to see things that you just don't like. And I and I think this was a prime example of that. Yeah. In Vancouver. Actually, where Jimmy thought, point. Jimmy actually thought that, you know, he's being honest with his uh, fan base and that he's just trying to bring them along in a process. And then they found out they didn't like it. And then they just, you know, voiced their uh, opinions quite loudly. You know, it's funny. And so I've actually, I don't know if I've ever told the story, but when I first came out of uh, rehab, one of the things that you, you, you learn in, in treatment is rigorous honesty. Alcoholics lie a lot. So rigorous honesty. I come out of treatment, rigorous honesty. This is going to be my the code I live by. I, I do an Edmonton radio hit like four days out of treatment. I'm right back into the swing of things. And uh, Greg Brady asked me, you know, what do you think Connor Bedard, or sorry, Connor McDavid is thinking in Edmonton? Well, you know, what's going on with him? And I was like, if I'm being honest, I think he wants out. I think he'd like to play anywhere else but Edmonton. I don't think he wants oh, to be there. God. And oh, I got buried. Wow. I was, you know, I do think at that time, the, the depths of oilerdom for Connor McDavid, I did think that at the time. It did me no benefit to say that. You know, like there was better ways to phrase it, better ways to approach it. And I think that's the case with coaching, with Rutherford, with whatever, is you can think things, but to your point in your article, Kipper, you need to approach them in a way that appeases the public and know who you're speaking to and you are an entertainment yeah. product. You don't want them to see the the cracks, the failures, the misunderstandings behind the scenes sometimes. Yeah, and you know, the one thing that stood out and, you know, for me was, you know, the the quote that Jimmy Rutherford had where it's like this thing kind of just took on its, a life of its own and it ran out of our control. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you kept feeding it. You yeah. fed the beast, including <laughs> to the point where you still have your head coach and you're basically telling other everybody that's willing to listen that you're interviewing other coaches. Yeah. And, you know, you're going in the media, you're going on – Hockey night in Canada saying we have no structure, we have no good systems. Which is okay maybe once. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but when you repeat it. But also over not October and 10th, over and over again. Yeah. It, was a, it was a debut episode of After Hours with Scott <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's just driving a knife in the poor old, yeah. poor old Bruce. Like, let's let them get below 500 before you torch the coach. <laughs> I know. Just to stay on the Vancouver Canucks, and why not? I mean, they continue to be uh, a big story in the National Hockey League. Uh, Kuzmenko re-signs. Okay. UFA. RFA, wasn't he? Or UFA? No, I think he was UFA. Well, no, because it was a bridge contract, wasn't it? I thought he was a U RFA, maybe. No. No? No, 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 no. Okay. He was He's like 26. 26. For, he's been in the KHL forever. Yeah. And okay. uh, his status had him as a UFA, and Vancouver just signed him to a two-year deal worth $11 million. And that, you know, makes sense for a guy that has barely shown that he could have a great full year. I mean, he's he might score 35 or 40 goals, uh, but still isn't there on a complete season yet, and now he's commanding $5.5 million. And, I mean, I get it from his perspective – and uh, his agent, like, I, I get the uh, fact that you want yeah. a, a, a short-term deal. You bank $11 million. You let the salary cap come back up in two years. And 
if you're scoring 35 or 40 goals, you're going to turn that 5.5 into 9 million. But JB, tell me where this benefits the Vancouver Canucks signing him to a two-year deal. I legitimately looked at that contract and was like, is that a sign and trade? Like, is that so they can trade him for assets at the deadline and someone knows it's not a rental? Because, like, he's not going to be a part of their solution when he needs a contract at 28 for a team that should be just turning the corner. I, am I crazy there? Like, No, you're on to something for sure. I, I am flabbergasted by this contract. Flabbergasted. Yeah. Like, this guy, to me, you know, this is going to – it's just another sort of weird contract for this front office and this, you know, team that's doing it. Trade him. You are trying yeah. to, like, you're rebuilt. Like, I know they're retooling, whatever the hell. They, trade him. He's shooting 26% right now. Sammy, and not only that. Oh, my God, that, is he really? Yes. Not only oh. that, you can trade him. At his highest value ever. A first rounder. Yes. And a top pick. Really? And you know why you can trade not him for really. that? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell you why. Because almost every almost every team could trade for him. The guy who's only on his, his cap hit this season, JB, is like 950000 Oh, my God. Okay? And I was thinking if you're Kuzmenko's, Kuzmenko's camp, you're like, I don't need trade protection or anything like that because if you trade me, it's to a contender. You're going to you, trade me to a good team. You, you are. And every contending team can pick up his million dollars. You want to go get another 30 goal score? You got to pick up a $9 million cap hit. You're, that's such a great point and makes it even more, even more attractive. And no, even more insane that they signed him to this contract. Well, they, no, it's not if they trade it. No, 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 no. And they the, might. the contract doesn't kick into next year. You're going to keep the 1 million. That's but right. what you yeah. don't want to necessarily do is now stare at 5.5 million next year. If, if you can't handle it or you don't want them or you got to move money out. So what you did was you just basically killed his value that he has right now. First of all, I, I assume that there's been promises that, hey, we're not, we're not putting you to two years to, so we can trade you, right? No. Really? I would they they signed him to keep him for two more years or at least next year, right? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe they're like, "Look, we're going to get you somewhere good. We'll get you a couple years." So then, why wouldn't you? Why, then, 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 why sign him? Let him walk out the door, get your first and a prospect, and then bring him back in the summer. Like, well, because don't you think you wouldn't get a first and a prospect if he didn't have some sort of? No, I think contract? it's the opposite. Agree. I think it's the opposite. You don't force teams t- to take on that salary next okay. year. I see. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 That's all. And yeah. I, it, th- this team is not going anywhere in the next two years. So I don't get it. Is it, is it, is it a contract? If he stays in Vancouver at 5-5, five, five, that's mind-blowing to me about what they're trying to do there, what they're trying to build. And it's, I'm just looking at Cap Friendly here, and they update it so quickly, which is so nice of them. It has a modified no-trade clause on the next two years with a 12-team no-trade list. Again, handcuffs. You- Handcuffs. You got to stop giving guys no trades, man. My God, this is Andre Kuzmenko. He's played 47 games in the league. No trade protection? Who negotiated that? Anyways. Got to be our boy, Milstein. (laughs) Well, he's brilliant. Was that? Yeah, that's got to be Dan the man. He's brilliant because, uh, I mean, he's he's holding all the cards. 
And again, all you you know, if it's Jimmy Rutherford who negotiated this deal, I, I don't understand why you give him twelve teams that he can say no to, it, just in case you'd want to move him because your team still stinks in a year and a half. Vancouver Canucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's not, a drop. I'm not writing about Vancouver the rest of the year. <laughs> There's a drop right there. <laughs> they are. They've taken years of my life, let alone their fans. Oh, Jeez. man. Imagine we were doing that show, this show in that market. Imagine being Halford and Bruff. Oh, my Bit God. Poor, actually, poor Jason I, I, came on our oh show. Boys. just was like kicked. You know, oh, it's, it's no a, different than here. Like, they're, they're probably really doing huge good numbers. or really uh, bad. Uh, like. I'm sure they've got the hottest uh, podcast going out there right now. So true. Much worse to be covering, like, I don't know, Minnesota or something. You know? So um, so Bruins and Tampa play tonight, which is a spectacular hockey match that I will be taking in. Somehow they're both going to get two points. <laughs> three. <laughs> uh, it's going to overtime for sure, for the Leafs' sake. Yeah. Did you see the, the picture of Jack Edwards? Uh, he went and he went and apologized to uh, Pat Maroon. Yeah. Now, uh, anything other? Uh, I didn't see much. Anything Eric... written about it that uh, we we haven't heard? I saw the picture. It. My first. My first thought is that, uh, and it's Jack Edwards scrunched down while Pat Maroon is still tying his skates or untying his skates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pat Maroon is Rory McIlroy, and he's out looking at Patrick Reed. Yeah. He's yes. trying to chat at him. Yeah, I'm a big body language guy, and yeah. uh, Pat Maroon didn't give him exactly the, the time of day uh, according to his body language. So yeah. um, I always uh, screw up this guy's last name. Is it Eric Erlzen? 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 Eric Erlzen? Erlinson, Erlinson from uh, thank you very much. That was uh, pathetic. But he tweeted out that uh, the first meeting between Bruins and uh, Pat Maroon since December, since what he said, and then you go and you look at the tweet, and Eric says it's not exactly going well for Edwards, is what he says. As this was a private conversation, even in a public setting, it's not my place to share exactly what was said unless either party wishes to reveal. But I will say it's evident Maroon is still displeased with the situation. So, Maroon not a, Maroon's not a big back-down guy, huh? No. And I think it's – I think <laughs> I'll give credit. Wouldn't you give credit to Jack Edwards? Yes. Yes. 100%. Yeah, listen. Uh, there, and I don't want to do that, but I will. When there's been a wrongdoing, it has to start with uh, an apology somewhere – and as long as it's uh, sincere, then you could maybe work on, you know, maybe a, an eventual uh, meeting of the minds. But you tell, you know, what you do is you tell Edwards to match the donation you made to charity, and then you just never talk to him again. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I do. Listen, I, I, there's parts of me that uh, I like Jack Edwards. There is. I, I I get it sometimes that you become this, uh, you know, this almost character of yourself. He's got I a shtick. It, yeah. He thinks that uh, he needs to go certain places for the, the 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 loyal Boston Bruin fans. He's, if I'm not mistaken, he's paid by the Boston Bruins. He's we not, do not agree. He's not uh, <laughs> like like you know. There's he puts pressure on himself to be a homer. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And sometimes he can screw up, like sometimes 
you, JB, or you, Sam. Listen. Not me. I've had to, <laughs> 100%. I get it. I've had to listen to too many famous calls of that guy screaming about the Leafs getting buried by the Bruins. Yeah, it's, I know, but it's, it's not. It, but it's Boston not a good Bruins fans love it, and that's who he Do they? It's, it's their only target audience. His only target audience is just feeding the Boston Bruin tattoo. Oh, maybe. Anyway, He's doing something. At right. least he apologized. I mean, it, yep. yeah, no. Hey, I'll give him credit or for that. At least he tried, anyways. Yeah. Hey, enjoy the winter concert yep. there, pal. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I'm rushing out uh, the door. Pictures. We want yeah. lots of pictures. Right. Yeah, yeah. Pictures coming, fellas. Great job, JB, today via satellite. Sammy, always a pleasure. Derek, Jen, and our thanks to Barry Trotz and Jamal Mars. All right. Have a great night, everybody. Stay safe. Once again, give us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you on The Real Kipper and Born Show.